How many of you know as we come together, every one of us have a different background, don't we? We have different backgrounds. We come up in different homes and maybe in a different state, different upbringings, uh, different church backgrounds. How many of you know there's so many different church backgrounds? That really is true, that all of us come from some type of church background. You know, I just don't assume as we come together that we're all from the same church background because I've listened to you and I hear your stories and um, just, is, uh, uh, just participating together today, how many of us have a Baptist background? How many of you just raise your hand, you have a Baptist background, there's a number of hands that are raised. How many of you have a Methodist background? Can I see your hands? Methodist, yes, I see those hands. How about Presbyterian? Yes, we have a few Presbyterian in the house as well. How about Episcopalian or Catholic? Can I see your hands? Yes, number of hands there. How many of you say I have a Pentecostal charismatic background. That's who we are. You have that. And those of you, you raise both hands, right? Pentecostal charismatic backgrounds, both hands are raised. How many of you just say, you know what, I'm just a good old sinner, and I did none of them, I'm just a good sinner, but that's who I am. It's okay. We all have different backgrounds, right? We come out of that. And you know, that's challenging as you come, as you look to the church, and as you lead a church, and it's challenging to do a series on the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but my prayer for you is today that you would understand everything that God's word has for you, that he wants you to know all of this word and what is inside of this word, because we all come from different experiences, backgrounds, beliefs. I don't know, how many of you ever heard of the light bulb jokes? How many of you have heard those light bulb jokes? A uh, couple hands here, the rest of you, I don't know if you're very bright, but I don't know about that, a couple hands, you've heard the light bulb jokes, but... How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Who said anything about change? Now listen, you're going to have to join with me in laughter because we're not here making fun of people. We're just having a good old time. How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, and their hands are already in the air, all right? How many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? Ten. One to change the bulb and nine to bind the spirit of darkness. How many Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? None. They use candles, okay? So how many Episcopalians does it take to change a light bulb? Ten. One to change it, nine to sit around and talk about how good the old one was. How many Church of Christ folks does it take to change a light bulb? None, because light bulbs aren't mentioned in the New Testament. Therefore, it's unscriptural, okay? So let's just not pick on um, uh, denominations today. Let's pick on some... uh, of other vocations. How many chiropractors does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, but it's going to take you six visits, okay? So how many college students does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. Will it be on the test? You know, our backgrounds have a lot to say about who we are and where we're going, that's for sure. But I just want to let you know in this church, we do believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. That is our foundational territory. And we are a Pentecostal church that believes in the Holy Spirit, and we were birthed out of that. And I just want to talk to you about that today as we come to part two of our series. Last week, I spoke on the Holy Spirit, and I want to give you a biblical norm for the Holy Spirit Because there is a lot of confusion out there on this topic of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, we started off last week looking at this scripture verse. And here you have the church has been going on for decades in this New Testament church. And it says this, Apollos went and preached in Corinth and Paul went to Ephesus. He went to the interior. And when Paul got to Ephesus, he found some Christians there, some disciples, and he asked them, hey, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became a believer? And they said, no, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. This is a couple decades into the New Testament church in the book of Acts, and they're like, no, we didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. And that's where a lot of people are at today. There's a lot of confusion that surrounds this topic. There's a lot of, well, you know, maybe no one's ever told me that. But I, in my opinion, if I look at it, there, there's a lot of bad packaging uh, of uh, this topic that has caused people to reject this topic. And I don't believe necessarily people are rejecting the Holy Spirit as much as they're rejecting the packaging that goes with it. 
that sometimes there's just a lack of understanding or a lack of knowledge or there's ignorance on the topic that keeps us or keeps people from understanding the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to draw some clarity today. Obviously, I can't do the full topic justice in two weeks, but, but last week and this week, and if you didn't hear last week's message, go back and listen to that. But I grew up in Pentecostalism. It's all that I've known. I was born into it and understand that and see that. And last week, I spoke on his name, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Those of you that were here, it was inside of Scripture the best attempts by English translators to tell you what the word means, but if you translate it literally, it just means a breath of fresh air. A breath of fresh air. If you understand who he is, you will run to him rather than run away from him, and that is his desire for your life. Today I want to tackle a term that, that all keeps all of us running from time to time, and that is the word Pentecost or Pentecostal. Today is Pentecost Sunday. How many of you knew that today is Pentecost Sunday? It is Pentecost Sunday, and I want to talk about what that means today. The word is actually a, a day. It's actually an event, Pentecost. In the book of Acts, it's when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. We know this. Jesus came for 33 years, lived and died on the cross, paid for our sins three days later. He's resurrected, and he spent 40 days in his glorified body before he was ascended into heaven and leaving final instructions to us, important final instructions. Then 10 days later, he was ascended. So 50 days after the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church with a lot of power and so many wonderful, precious things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. The discussion begins with the day of Pentecost and how it came. Pentecost is a day. In fact, it's a holiday. Did you know that? Pentecost is a holiday. In the Jewish calendar, they had three major holidays, and it's very similar to what we celebrate around Easter, Fourth of July, Thanksgiving, Christmas. It's something they'd celebrated. Now, they had seven holidays. Three of them were major. In these three holidays, they were also feasts. They actually had unique characteristics in which Jesus decided to come and to do life upon this earth and give us instructions on these holidays to give the Jewish people a picture of what he wanted to do upon the earth. Here's the problem. Jewish people understood this and celebrated it. We don't have these holidays that we celebrate that much. When you understand the holidays, you will be able to see the beauty that God has for us as his church. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to what? Fulfill them. He said, I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. There's even a line of thinking out there that people say, well, the Old Testament doesn't count. It doesn't mean anything. Well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 says this, I didn't come to do away with that. I didn't come to abolish that. He said, I came to fulfill the Old Testament by me coming upon this earth. And so he wants us to embrace the principles of the word, even from the Old Testament. In fact, we get the picture of Jesus all the way from the Old Testament as it comes into the New. So you can see Jesus' plan for your life in these three holidays. Understand the journey that he wants to take you on. That's what I hope to have you understand if you don't know about these three major holidays. The, every year there was what was called Passover. Can you say Passover? It was a celebration of when the children of Israel, what was happening, the Hebrew nation, had, that they went down to Egypt because of famine, if you remember that. And we see the Hebrews going into this land, and for 400 years, they were enslaved in Egypt. And they were there enslaved to make pyramids, to do what they wanted. They were under tyranny and dictatorship, and God did not want them to be slaves any longer. How many of you know we serve a God that doesn't want us to be slaves? To anything. 
right? And so he said, I don't want you to be in slavery any longer. And so what he did was God sent these plagues, and he said, I'm going to send these plagues so that you will release my people, the Hebrew people, the children of Israel, to get out of slavery. And you see inside of there that they got out of Egypt, and then God said, I want you to have an annual holiday to celebrate this good news. And here's how they celebrate it, with the Passover lamb. An annual holiday, they killed a lamb, they eat it on this holiday. It was a picture to remind them of the sacrifice of the lamb covering their sins. And we know that, remember, Jesus came to fulfill that holiday, and he died. Good Friday was Passover, and Jesus was sacrificed on Passover. His sacrifice removes our sins, and that is great news today because his sacrifice just doesn't cover our sins. His sacrifice removes our sins. How many of you thank the Lord for that? Amen? Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But it not only covers them, it removes them completely. That's good news, church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's who he is. He's our Passover lamb. Passover represents your salvation. Can you say salvation? That's what Passover is. That God's got more for you, but he doesn't wrap it all up in one experience because he has some things that he wants you to do. And he wants you to serve him every day. And he wants you to read his word. And he wants to have a relationship with you daily. And he wants you to study all about him. And he wants you to be on a journey of faith. And that we see in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it is what? A gift of God, not by works, so that no one could ever boast about it. God says, this is free. And this is my gift to you that I am giving to you. The second holiday was Pentecost. Can you say Pentecost? The word penta, it means five, or in the original language, cost or costy. And we see that means to the 10th power, which means 50. Five to the 10th power. Here is how scary the word Pentecost is. 50. Be very afraid. People get freaked out because sometimes they hear the word Pentecost and they get, ah, well, they run, run for the hills. It's freaky. No, it's not because it simply means 50. That's how the devil has tried to keep believers away from the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. By hearing terms that are connected with bad packaging throughout the years and take this on journeys maybe we should have never gone on, but that I want to bring you back to the biblical norm today of what Scripture has to say about Pentecost and about the Holy Spirit and about these three holidays that mean so much to our lives. So if you see it in our calendar, we have Easter. Seven weeks later, it would be Pentecost Sunday. That's where we're at today. What were they celebrating on that day? They were celebrating the fact that the law was given on Mount Sinai. They're out of Egypt. The presence of God is there. And if you remember that story, there was earthquake. There was fire. There was smoke. God's there. There's 10 commandments. You get the law. It's a big day, isn't it? I mean, that's huge. We get the 10 commandments there in Exodus. The cloud that descended on them came with a loud noise and fire. And God wrote his law on the tablets of stone, and that happened on Pentecost. Remember the golden calf? Remember how they rejected God? How many of you remember the story when Moses came down, and he came down the mountain, and they were worshiping idols of gold? How many of you remember that story? What's so powerful in that story is if you look at this, 3,000 people died that day in the book of Exodus for worshiping and rebelling against God. The Holy Spirit descended in the book of Acts with a loud sound and fire as well. Acts chapter 2, God didn't write the law on stone at that time. He writes it on our hearts so we can get God on the inside of us. Guess how many people got saved that day? 3,000. 
that you see from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Jesus said, listen, I didn't come to abolish that, but I came to fulfill that, and through it, Jesus is good news. Amen, church? That he is good news, and through it, 3,000 people were saved that day as we get the picture of Pentecost. It's a mirror picture of the holiday. Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many uh, convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while I was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, there are different baptisms in the Bible. There is the baptism in water. Then there's the baptism in the Holy Spirit that we see comes out through Scripture. Acts 1.8, you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you because you're going to need power. God knew what we needed, and here is the work that is involved. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost and the ends of the earth. And what he is saying to us today is, I need you to touch the Shenandoah area with the good news of the gospel right here in your own neighborhoods that you would reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That right here in Stevens City and Winchester in Virginia and West Virginia and the East Coast and the United States of America and to the nations of the earth, that as we have prayed this year for immeasurably more, we know that we cannot do the immeasurably more without the Holy Spirit of God empowering us to do more. Amen, church? No, no, it's not going to happen by the thrills and the lights and this preaching and that and all of that. It's going to happen because we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are speaking under his power, just like Peter was, as we see in the book of Acts, and thousands of people came to the Lord. That we see Pentecost doesn't mean craziness, okay? Because so much of the packaging has been wrapped up in the craziness. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to be successful upon the earth. If I'm ever going to reach my neighbor, if I'm ever going to reach my neighborhood, if we're ever going to reach this community, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to pull it off. Pentecost is about power. Can you say power? So that you and I can make a difference. He needs to empower his church to do something that you and I can't pull off on our own. You know, being filled with the Spirit happens on a daily occurrence and must happen on a daily occurrence in our life. The Apostle Paul says that, be filled, and that's an ongoing work. You and I need to be filled every single day with the Holy Spirit because we live in a world that desperately needs Jesus. And it's about power, and it's about partnership, and it's about hungering for more of God and his presence in us daily because we can't do it alone. On the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, remember this is an event, this is a holiday. Today, you should be celebrating, because this is the holiday. 120, including the disciples, were in the upper room, and they heard this sound, and the sound that entered the room was like a great, mighty wind that was blowing. There were great balls of fire that were happening that came to rest on each person that was in that room as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Just like the fire came down at Mount Sinai, the fire comes down in Acts chapter 2, and it comes because people are there doing many incredible things, but inside of them, they are one heart and one mind. They are unified in what they are doing. They are unified in where they are going, and the Bible says, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What happened? There was an eruption that came out of them verbally, out of their lips, and people gathered to hear what was going on, and Peter preached the gospel, and thousands of people got saved on that day that we call the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2. Very plainly, I'm just talking about four ways the Holy Spirit is released in us. 
You know, we can sometimes contain the Holy Spirit and then we don't ever let it out. How many of you know that we're not just called to be a container? We're called to be a channel and a vessel for the Holy Spirit to speak through us. Are you with me? Say yes. Amen. Number one is praise. We hear them declaring the wonders and the praise of God in Acts chapter 2 and verse 11. The Holy Spirit is on the earth to point people to Jesus. If you ever wonder if it's the Holy Spirit or not, you can know it in what I just said. The Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus. Holy Spirit won't point to a man, a woman, or any methodology. The Holy Spirit always points to the Lord Jesus Christ and always glorifies Jesus. That is his work. That is what he does. So we are then empowered to point other people to Jesus. Anytime Jesus gets exalted, the Holy Spirit gets excited. That's what you have to know, that every time we see Jesus gets lifted up, that we praise him in our lives, that we praise him in this room. That's why we encourage you and we exhort you to sing praises to the Lord. Lift your voice, lift your voice, lift your hands and praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why? Because that is how the Holy Spirit is released in our lives and released in this place. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of him. Amen? Release him. See, praise activates your spirit. Praise will activate your spirit. How many of you know our spirits need to be activated? And the way that you and I activate our spirit is that we praise the Lord. Number two, prophecy. Acts chapter 19, it says, When Paul placed his hand on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. I'll speak about tongues in just a moment. Prophecy is Holy Spirit-inspired encouragement. We need Holy Spirit-inspired encouragement in our lives. I don't know about you, but I need it. In our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our church, in our world, we need to be people of God that give Holy Spirit-inspired encouragement. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that. Open this up and just read it. This is the prophetic word of the Lord. You just start reading the prophecies. You just read God's word. You read it out loud. You can't go wrong when you're speaking the word over somebody's life because it's settled in heaven already. Amen? Some of you are like, I don't, that's what you got to do. That's where you start. And yeah, the Holy Spirit can give it to you in other words, and he can give to you only what the Spirit can give to you in your heart, in your mind. It could be a direct word for somebody that you're speaking into that moment and that season that they are going through in that hour that they desperately need it. So the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. Number three, prayer language. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God in Acts chapter 10 and verse 46. God can do miracles, can he? I do believe that. How many of you believe that today? No, how many of you will just participate? How many of you believe God can do a miracle? Okay, I believe he can do a miracle. Amen. I prayed with people already today that need a miracle in their body, that need a miracle in their life, and that we are believing and we're speaking miracles over them and believing God. Speaking in tongues simply is a miracle of language. As you pray out in a language you've not learned before, you've never studied, there is something supernatural happening, and you partner with the Holy Spirit. By speaking in our spiritual language, we speak to God without any filters. That's what I want to tell you today. Many times, our language, our English language, you know, if that's what you speak, that we really many times struggle with what to say to God. Do you know that when you pray in the Holy Spirit in your prayer language, you are speaking to God unfiltered? It is direct communication to God in that moment, in that hour. I'm going to tell you that uh, I speak in tongues daily in my personal prayer time because I realize I need to keep that prayer language up. And so inside of me, I'm praying, and I know there's unfiltered prayers that are going up to the Father, and it's by that that he can speak through into me with whatever scenario, with whatever situation, with whatever test that I'm going through, or the direction that I'm needed in all of my life, that I can pray unfiltered to the Father by praying in my prayer language every day. That We need that, church. 
We have to have this in this day. How many of you know that the enemy can't understand your prayer language? Do you know that? Now I just gave you a weapon for your tool belt that you can start using. Amen? That you are praying unfiltered prayers to the Father in Jesus' name. How, there's two uses for speaking in tongues. One is privately, like I talked about when you pray. The other is publicly, those that have the gift of tongues. You've maybe heard it in the body. You've heard it in churches. Maybe, maybe it's been a small group. But inside of that, every person that speaks out in tongues, the Bible says there must be an interpretation to follow. Why? Because God wants us to understand what's going on. How many of you know that we have a God that wants us to understand what is taking place, Right? That he wants us to understand that, and through tongues, and immediately the interpretation that takes place according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that God wants us to understand what he is saying, and that God wants his voice to be known. He is not wanting to be covered up or covert. He wants us to understand what he is saying to us. So we need our prayer language every single day. Number four power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Acts 1.8. Again, if you're not interested in being used by God, this is going to be irrelevant to you. But if you're saying, God, I want something more in my life, and I want you to overflow. I want you to do something in me that is way beyond myself, that, that you can come and open yourself up today. And at this very moment inside of this room, you can open yourself up to the very biblical norm that it's very practical because it's power for productivity. It's power for productivity in the world that we live in. And some of you may not even know this, but you know that in the tabernacle, that there God gave gifts through his spirit, because we talked about last week, right in the beginning of Genesis, the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit was all involved from the beginning, that those that were called to build the tabernacle, that the spirit of God was upon them that gave them giftings and talents to do specific jobs to build the house of God. And God can help you in your vocation. Did you know that? Some of you say, man, I need help in my work. Well, that's through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he can give you the ability to have the power to do it. Third holiday is tabernacles. Can you say tabernacles? This one happened in the fall around harvest time, and it was to celebrate and remember their wandering in the desert, which is today modern-day Saudi Arabia. To a Jewish person, that means a portable house or a tent that we would say for us in 2019, it represents a tent. Temporary home on their way to the promised land. Do you see this correlation inside of scripture? That this holiday and this feast of tabernacles was celebrating, hey, we're only here for a certain amount of time but God has taken us on to an eternal home in heaven that is absolutely forever. That's tabernacles, right? Amen? Temporary home, here now, but listen, we will have a promised land to come. You see this. Paul says we're aliens and strangers passing through, brought to our final home in heaven one day where there will be a final harvest. You know, more people have gotten saved in the last 19 years than the previous 2,000 years from Christ until the year 2000. We are living in a harvest generation. And let me tell you this. I'm telling you, I've said this before, don't believe the lie that people aren't interested in God. The enemy is trying to undermine the work of God in the nations of the earth. I'm going to tell you something right now, church, that more people have come to the Lord in the last 19 than the previous that we see before that. That's amazing. From Jesus to 2000, from we see in the last 19, more people coming to Christ that the Lord may be coming sooner rather than later. I'm not sending dates and times because I don't even know them. That's why 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left, we caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air, and so will we be with the Lord forever. Tabernacles is about the second coming. Can you say second coming? 
That's it, second coming. That's what tabernacles is. That's the fulfillment. They wandered in the old, but in the New Testament looking forward, we are ultimately going to the promised land of heaven. We are going to our eternal home, and it's about the second coming of Christ. I want to let you know this. You may not know this. Jesus is coming back again. He is coming back again. I'm telling you, he is coming. And he wants you, he wants you to be in heaven with him. Three major holidays. You know, there's three major things that you need to know about your life as a believer. That it all begins with Passover. It all begins with the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after you receive Jesus into your life, he has an assignment for you. Let me tell you something. After you receive Jesus, the next step is water baptism, right? Repent and be baptized, every single one of you. Listen, when you and I come and have come out of the baptismal waters, God has given you and I an assignment. It is not a moment to sit on your hands. It's not a moment to sit in the church. It's not a moment just to think, oh, well, I don't really care about the world or lost people. No, the moment you and I come to Jesus and come out of the baptismal waters, we have an assignment from God to reach a lost world that it's on its way to hell. We have an assignment. And he said, listen, this assignment is so big that you cannot pull this off on your own. You, you, you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. And so there's a Pentecost experience that, that I want you to know today. And the Pentecost experience has never been about entertainment. It, it's never been about being a show-off or we have a monopoly on it because nobody has a monopoly on God or the Holy Spirit. It, it's, it's never about a place where we just come and watch like an amusement park, but Pentecost is for the sake of the mission that he says in this word to do. That's the biblical norm to reach a lost world, doing something that makes a difference for the sake of the mission that God has called us to live so that we can ultimately experience tabernacles, that Jesus is coming back and, and, and we're going to spend the rest of our lives in eternity in heaven. So many don't even understand the age that we are, we are living in. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 12, they said this. They were amazed and perplexed, and they asked one another, what does this mean? What does Pentecost power mean? It's simple. He says, I want you to have power. God needs you to possess power in your life in a supernatural great way. And how does he empower you? Well, there's three things I want to talk about today. Number one. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live righteously. He empowers us to live a right life. Remember, Pentecost was about the giving of the law. Some are still following the written law, something that is just on the outside of them, something that's just been written on the tablet of stone, but has never made its way inside. Well, Jesus said, listen, I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament, so through the work of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to write this word on the inside of your heart now, that's Pentecost, that you are a living letter for Jesus Christ. That listen, if you've constantly in your life are finding yourself, I'm rebelling against God, I don't want to do that, that means the law of God is only on the outside of you and it's never made its way on the inside of you to change your life, right? Oh, I know there's going to be a struggle, right? Oh, yeah, we do rebel. But if every single day at every single moment you can know that in your life you're only looking at God's word as something that's written on stone but has never come in to change you. But that inside of that, you realize you're battling your flesh. Listen, when you're filled with the Spirit, he begins to write his word on, in, in, on the inside of you so, so that you don't have to obey it, you become it. Like your desires begin to change. I bet you we could go around this room today, those of you in Christ serving the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit, you could probably look back and say today, wow, I used to live one way back here, and it was terrible. But when I came to Jesus, he changed me from the inside out. And as I obey him, I become the word, the living letter. You, however, Paul says, Romans, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. When you're filled with the Spirit, He begins to do a transforming work on the inside of you. 
That I'm not just sitting here saying, oh, I'm just obeying Ten Commandments. But no, they become of who you are, a part of who you are. God wants you to honor him with the word that's written in your life. He says that when I send you my spirit, I will guide you in all truth. He will talk to you. I don't know about you, but listen, there is so much lies and junk that is going on in our world. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, then we can't be led in truth. We can't be led in truth. We won't know how to decipher the fake and the lie and and the craziness of the enemy that is trying to stir up. We've got to know the word of the Lord, which is the word of life, to decipher between light and darkness. He will talk to you. Do you know that the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you? God will speak through his spirit to you. God is speaking every day. He is to our lives. shouldn't freak us out because God's a speaking God. You know, I've said this story a couple of times, but to go back and just kind of bring this into this uh, today is, you know, before Chris and I uh, came to this church, um, we were at a great church in Hampton and underneath wonderful leadership there, and we're blessed to be there, and we felt God stirring our hearts to move on and do something. The season was changing. We submitted that to our senior pastor and submitted it to him and said, hey, we, we feel this stirring. We feel God doing the stirring in us, and it's to go uh, lead a church. And, and uh, through it, he gave some great advice to us and just to wait on that and just to pray, and we did. And we soaked it in prayer for six months and just believed and, and just asked God. And so Crystal and I really thought, oh, we'd probably be back in the Midwest, you know, and maybe that was more of the longing of our hearts, which we see it was, uh, to say, hey, our families are in the Midwest. We love the northern suburbs of Chicago area there, and uh, being in that area that's right midway between both of our families in the Midwest to be there and to be close. And so we had our resumes out to three churches in, in the Illinois district, and we had one resume into this church. Through it, as we prayed, as we were seeking God, we said, Lord, what do you want us to do? We're your servants, God. We just give you our lives. We've done that forever, God, and we just want to come and say, Lord, what do you want to do with our lives and ministry, and where would you have us be? And we prayed into that and believed in that. Well, all three of the churches in Illinois, their doors, those completely shut. It was a no, no, no. All three of them shut, almost like simultaneously, boom, boom, boom. Through it, Chris and I just praying and going through it and just believing that we said, God, uh, we know that, hey, there's one church open, and we don't even know at that time. We didn't even know what was going to happen. We didn't know what was going to take place, and so we're just seeking God and having people pray with us at our previous church through it and just believing. And so one morning in prayer in our staff meeting, we just spent time in prayer, and I remember that God had given Kristen and I a verse, and it was Isaiah chapter 55. And that morning I was in, in staff prayer. I was just sitting there, I remember, in one of the pews and just praying. And I went to that scripture verse that morning, and Kristen was at home taking care of the kids. And I remember looking at Isaiah chapter 55, and as I opened the Bible, on the very top in the bold heading, it said, Invitation to Abundant Life. I'm not lying to you. I, I was in disbelief, actually, so I called Kristen and was like, whoa. I said, well, I think we're going to get an invitation to that church. And we did. Board called us. We met with them. We talked. Board here. Met with them and prayed together. We heard their heart. They heard our heart. We went away, and then they invited us back to, to preach and and, and through that all, you know, Kristen, we were, we were talking about, we, that was a, the church we were a part of there was a, a big, vibrant, multicultural church. It was just so amazing to be a part of in the Hampton Roads area, and we loved it, and we loved the people there, and we loved the, loved the staff there, and, and, and through it, 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 it was hard, but just knowing, hey, okay, God's preparing us for a different season. And um, I remember one night that Kristen and I were talking uh, about churches in and I knew the size of this church in my mind at the time. And, and uh, I said, God, you have to do a work here. And Kristen told me one night, she said, don't talk to me about a church under 50 people. She rolled over and threw the covers up over her head. Some of you were like, well, this church isn't 50. When I came and we came, it was under 50 people 15 years ago. And so I said, oh, God, please do a work on Kristen's heart. <laughs> God, you got to speak to her like you're speaking to me. I feel this. I sense this. But God, it's so important to have Kristen 
uh, right with me in ministry and doing that. And you know, Kristen is a wonderful, wonderful wife assisting and loving and being here and pastoring at this church as she has come along and just assisting with the work of the Lord here that God did speak to her heart. We were invited to preach and we were voted in. So thank you, Jesus. Amen. I still have the number in my Bible that was given to me, and it had the number 22 said yes. 22 people voted us in. I go back and look at that many times in my calling when it gets very difficult, and I say, okay, Lord, that's what you've put in our heart to do, and until you say done, I will do it. Isaiah chapter 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. God is speaking to people right now in this room. Don't go to the right, don't go to the left. The voice behind you is saying, walk in it and walk this way. Don't miss what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. He's precious. He's speaking things into your heart today that you may know, have no idea what you're going to do next. You may feel like they did in the book of Acts. We're perplexed. We don't even know. Well, how, what, what's the help when we're perplexed? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you and he will guide you in all truth. He won't lead you astray. Number two, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live supernaturally. How many of you agree with me that Jesus lived a supernatural life? Right? That he did. That he healed people. There were signs and wonders and miracles. None of us have a problem believing Jesus lived a supernatural life, do we? None of us do. Church, are you with me? But Jesus said, when I leave this earth and go to my Father, greater work shall you do. Listen, it doesn't have to be spooky. It doesn't have to be craziness and weird. I've always been a believer that God can do whatever he wants to do. You look at Scripture and some of the things that happen there, it would blow our minds today. But let me tell you something. God works in amazing, mysterious ways. He still does it. That God is still the miracle worker. It doesn't have to be weird. There's a biblical norm for it. There's a biblical norm. There's a biblical norm for it. God wants you to know, do you hunger for his presence more than anything else today? Do you hunger for his spirit and to believe that the great physician has not closed his office and he is still at work? The Holy Spirit wants to empower you to live a supernatural life. In Acts 10, 38, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Why? Because there were so many sick and hurting. Church, I'm telling you something. There are so many people that are sick and hurting. You need to feel it. Some of you say, I'm really not exposed to that. I invite you into our offices. I invite you in conversations we have. That There are conversations you have with people. There, there are people that are sick and they need healed. Do you see it? Are we supposed to leave them that way? Are we supposed to leave them lost? Are we supposed to leave them sick? No. It's with the power of the Holy Spirit that you come. And God, help me as I get ready to go into this next meeting because I need your spirit to lead our conversation to heal this person that's sick in the hospital, that we lay hands upon them, that we're believing for supernatural healing in Jesus' name. We prayed for people in the first service, many people that came forward that need healing in Jesus' name in their bodies, people that have struggled, a lot of young people dealing with sicknesses. I'm telling you, church, He's anointed you to do this. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. 
We believe in the work of the Spirit to come and enliven us. And we're a church that wants to help you find giftings. You, the Holy Spirit, has dispersed giftings to your life. Every one of you in this room have at least one gift. Many of you have a number of gifts. Do you know what those gifts are? If you don't, please come and talk with us. We're here to help you find your gifts and get you plugged in and find that place where you should be. You should know what your gifting is because the Holy Spirit gave it to you. We're called to be His mission field. We're called to go and do this power and to do this in His power. That's why 1 Thessalonians says our gospel came to you not only with words but with power. Came with what, church? Power. With the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Listen, church, I believe this. There are many people inside of this room, sound of my voice. There are a lot of believers in the world that have the law of God on the outside of them that, oh, I know what it says. I know what the Word says. But have never drank it into their heart and stay far away from the Holy Spirit. But listen, I'm going to tell you why the church in America, for the many reasons, is in the desperate situation that it is in. And I'm not lying to you today. I'm telling you this as a pastor that's studying this. Is we don't have boldness because we don't have the endowment from the Holy Spirit. And Christians have cowered and will not speak up because of being politically correct, and live in the lie, and drink in the lie, and we wonder why the state of churches and Christianity in the world, in America, I'm going to tell you something, church. We need boldness in these days because the enemy's voice is pretty loud. But God's voice is even greater. And if the church doesn't get filled with the Holy Spirit, we're in trouble. I'm not talking about weird packaging today. I'm talking about biblical norm. The things that happened when God showed up. Come on, let's be a church that wants to be filled with his spirit. See, what's happened throughout the years is people get the Holy Spirit, and then they think they have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. And they think, you know what, I'm better than you because I got the Holy Spirit and you don't. There is no place for that in the church, this church, or in the body of Christ, or in the word of the Lord. No place. Nobody's got monopoly on the Holy Spirit. Nobody. Right? That has no place. And we say in this church, we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. Better than me. We live in a world, I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to show you up. Look at my highlight reel. No, no. No, it makes me better than me. With the Holy Spirit, it's a better version of you. It's a better version of you. It's a life-giving spirit that he wants to breathe upon you and me today. We need the experience, and we need an expectation to fill the church like never before. We need an expectation through our kids' ministry. We need an expectation through our youth, our young adult. We need expectation in our adults. I want our oldest generation in this church to have such a spirit of expectancy. Many of you have been through and gone through revivals. I grew up in church where there were tent meetings, there were revivals, and some, we just do things a little different. We're not against those. Some churches keep those going. But listen, we believe in the endowment from the Spirit of God. And we believe that He can show up however He wants to show up. You know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my life is so powerful and profound that I'm so thankful that you know, at age 16, I remember that Sunday night sitting there in the pew in my father's church, um, and, and, and we had an evangelist that night that was preaching. He wrote books on, on the Spirit and baptism of the Holy Spirit and the giftings of the Holy Spirit, and he was speaking and preaching. At the end of that, he invited people forward to come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, speaking in that prayer language, that heavenly language, whatever you care to call it, and that I remember I sat there and white-knuckled the pew. You ever done that before in your life, or the chair? Like, God, you are speaking to me, but I don't want to get up. You ever done that? You ever done that? Yeah, that was me that night. 16 years of age. And I'm like, I don't even understand all this stuff. 
I don't even know what's going on here, but I know I've heard the word. And yeah, I do believe I need to do this. And I want to be filled, but how? I'm scared. I fear all these things. And I remember my, my dad, I know, was praying for all of, all, all of, our, all of uh, the kids, our, my siblings that Sunday night. I'm just believing. And I know um, my older brother and sister, they'd already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so I was sitting there, and, and he could tell that I was wrestling with God. He could tell that I was just white knuckle on that pew that night. And I remember looking at me like, you know, and he, he said, come on. And I got up out of that seat. I think I walked pretty stiff-legged all the way to the front. <laughs> and I came and I just raised my hands. God, I don't even understand all of this, but Lord, I know I need you and baptize me with your spirit. Men and women of God laid their hands upon me, and I began to speak with other tongues. And that night I was filled. From that moment on of 16 years of age, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues and have realized that I need his power to help me do what I'm called to do. Kristen's story is a little different. Her, she received a prayer and believing for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the church that she was in but didn't receive it at the altar. And let me just tell you this. Some people, we get people so backed into a corner, they're so, they feel so pressured. Like, if you don't get it, it's less than. No, it's not. Because I believe God knows when we need it the most and at what season and when we're ready. You need to hunger for it. You need to want it. And then it was a week later in her room as she was praying that she began to speak with other tongues and God filled her mouth and she's been baptized in the Holy Spirit ever since. But listen, we need the experience and we need the expectation of the Spirit of God to fill our lives once again that he is not freaky and he is not weird, but the Bible says that he is gentle and he is loving and he is kind and that's who he is today. So today, I'm going to pray and uh, I'm going to have everybody stand, if you will. And our ministry team is going to be down here. Some of you may say, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I'm dry. I need life. Some of you may say, I've never received my heavenly language. I've never received tongues. And I, I want to. And I don't even understand all what this means. And you don't have to. You come with an open heart today and just allow God to fill you and to touch you fresh and new to give you a new boldness, to give you new power into new strength. Let's pray. Father, I pray and I thank you for your children. I thank you for this church. And I thank you for your spirit that's at work. I, I know you're here, spirit. I sense you. That you're speaking to us now and you're saying, walk this way. Walk in it. That you're speaking to hearts and minds, Lord, at this moment. And that, Lord, you're stirring us as your people to have a greater infilling of the work of who you are. Thank you for that work. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to not contain, but to be a vessel to flow through to a world that is sick and needs healing. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen.